0: Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box in One. Welcome back to another episode of the Box in One podcast. It's Thursday, April 28th, and we are approaching draft season being in full swing. We're two months out from the NBA draft, and with that being the case, we want to start ramping up our podcast episodes, trying to go two times a week here, getting you all the content you need and having some of the important conversations to set the stage for what's going to be a fantastic draft night here for the 2022 NBA draft. So in that nature, we're going to kick off our first ever bi-weekly podcast with a little bit of Q&A and a mailbag uh, episode here, taking some questions from Twitter and just throwing out some rapid fire. So this is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode, short and sweet, but hopefully has some relevant content and answers some of the questions that many of you have out there on the internet. So thank you all for submitting your questions. Let's just get right into it here. Uh, Dylan Hunter Carter, at Dylan H. Carter on Twitter, friend of the podcast, somebody that we've worked with many, many times in the past. Dylan's a a great basketball writer and mind out there. Spurs guy, and he asked about San Antonio. If I worked in San Antonio's front office, who would I target at 9 and 20 or 25? Well, the Spurs do currently have three picks. I think at nine, if they stay in that later part of the lottery, two names really stand out for me. One is Jalen Durin out of Memphis. I do like the ability of Greg Popovich to develop defensive anchors. And Duran really stands out as being probably the best guy in this class to be a rim-protecting center over the long term. Just really high upside for him, only 18 years old. Should still be a high school senior. And he got a lot better as the season went on at Memphis. I think the sky's really the limit for him if he continues to, to improve at that rate and works with the right developmental staff. The one thing that the Spurs do have is, you know, a guy like Jakob Pertle, who's already there and isn't going to over-leverage Duran from day one to just come in and kind of take his licks. I think that in two or three years, he could be seen a little bit as almost a DeAndre Ayton type of guy, you know. That rim running center who has a little bit more skill, whether it's shooting the ball or playing off the bounce, one or two dribbles, than he shows on a typical basis. But what's really important out of the gates is making sure that he becomes a really good defender. So I I think Durin is a good target at nine. The other name who stands out to me, and this is more of a a personal preference for me, is a guy like Jaden Hardy. I, I like scoring. Uh, I think that you draft to the higher parts of the draft to try to get somebody like that. And, and Hardy would really come in and flank well next to a DeJounte Murray over the long term. I think those two would be a really successful backcourt tandem. Hardy is a three level scorer. He's got to get a little bit better at the rim, but his pull up game in the mid range and from three is incredibly appealing. He's very underrated as a defender. He's very, very underrated as a playmaker and somebody who I think just is going to pop in the NBA game. It may take him a year or so to get there, but if those are the two targets that you're going for at nine, I think that the Spurs are in in pretty good shape. 20 and 25 works a little bit differently. I do think with one of them, they need to go with a high upside swing. I'm not necessarily sure who that might be but a couple names to throw out there, Bryce McGowan's from Nebraska. If they don't go with a guard like Hardy at the uh, the ninth pick or, or in the early parts of the lottery, then going for a high upside guard like McGowan's or even like Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame would make a ton of sense to me. I also think a big man like Ishmael Kamagate, or even going for one of those mystery men like, uh, like an Usman Jang or maybe even a Nikola Jovich would be really impactful for the Spurs. So, a ton of options for them to go. I think they need to take the best player available at nine. I think they need to take at least one other swing in the twenty to twenty-five range, and beyond there, it's just it's really hard to project out what they need with three draft picks. Um, you know, there's there's going to be some shakeup and perhaps some draft and stash that goes with it. To know that positionally, it's not really about need; it's just drafting the best guys that you can. Joshua West at Josh W0 through three wants to know uh, do you think it's easier for players that were asked to do too much in college to scale down? Some examples of that this year might be Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray, David Roddy, or Vince Williams to scale down in the NBA. Or do you think guys in limited roles do better? For example, it would be an AGG, AJG, sorry, uh Dalen Terry, Christian Brown. I've wrestled with this question many times, and last year, we went back and forth on this exact topic about a guy like Trey Murphy, who was a very, very clear-cut role at Virginia. He didn't put the ball on the floor very much. He defended, used his length, and shot a ton of three-pointers. There's easy translation from that to the NBA, and when it's apples and apples from the role you play in college to the role you play in the NBA, it can be pretty easy to you know, to trust those guys, but I think it's harder to project their upside to expand beyond those roles. Right. So I think it's easier to scale down for certain guys. Uh, Johnny Davis is going to be an example of a guy who I believe will be able to scale down effectively because he is a good defender. Yes. He carried a ton of offensive burden at Wisconsin, but because he's able to slide his feet, is really competitive on that end of the floor, has the length to contest shots from behind, I think he's going to be a good combo guard defender. So it'll be easier for him to scale down because if he just has to focus offensively on shooting or playing a little bit smaller of a role, we know that he can stay on the floor on the other end. The same thing goes to me for uh, you know one of the reasons why I, I really like David Roddy in this class. He shot the ball way over his head this year, Colorado State. I don't think he's going to shoot the ball over 40% again in the NBA level, but he was more of a, a guy who thrived on high volume, but doing a little bit of everything. The clear translatability of mismatch posting and being able to guard multiple positions at his size creates mismatches for his team. I'm much more willing to buy into that than just a high volume scorer who has to find a way to get a role in the NBA. I have to be able to look at what role they'd fill on draft night if they were to scale down to feel comfortable. But if that's the case and I can find one, I do tend to feel more comfortable in drafting them. So hopefully that makes sense a little bit, Joshua. Uh, That being said, uh, he did mention guys like Dalen Terry and Christian Brown at the end. I am big fans of them. I think that they're superstars in their role, both received first round grades from me. So this was, um, you know, I think it's about semantics, right? The right guys are going to translate to the NBA and whatever that role is, you just have to be able to bet on the talent in either regard. Bredo at Bredo NBA. What's the highest we can see Shaden Sharp going in the draft? Man, Shaden Sharp, I got to be honest. I've only watched about five or six games. They all came last week. I'm trying to find a little bit more film and and a diversity of film to really dive into. A lot of it was Arizona. I haven't, excuse me, his high school team. I haven't dove into the, the AAU film yet. I think the highest sharp goes is fourth. And that would be if Oklahoma city and, or a team like Houston wind up in the four spot. And the biggest reason I believe that is because they have the timelines to be a little bit more patient and the future picks to make one of those swings. I think it's clear to say from an athletic and skill combination perspective, Sharp is definitely a top seven or eight talent in this draft class. He may be even higher than that in the top four or five. I just, I hesitate to really know exactly where to slot him until I dive in and watch a ton of the film personally. Maybe I'm slacking on that a little bit and I know I need to get on that, but I think four is actually a reasonable outcome. It's where we mocked him in our most recent, recent mock draft. I have a tough time seeing him going higher, but I think that's a reasonable outcome for a guy like Shaden Sharp. Well, let's keep the, uh, the Shaden Sharp conversation rolling here. And Sergio, at Nsergio, E-N-S-E-R-G-I-O, pretty interesting question here. Why is Sharp a better prospect than Usman Jang? We got more info with Jang playing in a professional league. And, and yes, the translatability of the league that Jang plays in is going to be much easier to project than Sharp going, you know, really one year of getting a ton of note, uh, noteworthy action on the EYB Allen in high school. But Sharp's natural tools and his ability to use them are a lot more farther along and developed than Jang. Jang's frame is really one of the reasons why I think his ceiling is going to wind up being in the 10 to 12 pick range. Um, He's really skinny and wiry, but unlike a Kevin Durant, a Brandon Ingram, or even somebody like a Bryce McGowan's in this class, who's a little bit smaller and thinner. Those guys all are unafraid of contact. They, they dive into it. They seek it out on all their drives. They understand that with their slender frames, Contact gets exaggerated for them. They bump into a defender and they go flying a little bit farther than the most guys who are stronger. Referees will reward that. And Jang doesn't really have that context yet. He's a little bit contact averse. He believes way too much in floaters as opposed to getting to the rim. And defensively, it's much of the same thing. He wants to use his length to bother guys, but doesn't bang with contact in his chest. The one thing I can say about Sharp is that he is pretty physically gifted. He he can play a physical brand of basketball as a result. And quite frankly, his shooting numbers are going to be a little bit better than Jang's. I understand Jang had a really good finish to the season this year. But just with the way that Sharp has shot the basketball in isolation settings and is a little bit more live-bodied of an athlete, the high upside level of his shooting is going to be a much more appealing strength for Sharp than it is going to be for Jang. It's a good question, though. I think that uh uh, I always appreciate having to sit down and answer those about, you know, different prospects and comparing them. And why is this guy higher than that guy? Like Those are good conversations to have. I think this one's pretty clear cut for me that Sharp is a a much better prospect on both ends of the floor, but I'm, I'm glad to be able to sit down and have to think about why. Uh, Jojo at Hole underscore Kelly, whole underscore Kelly, W H O L E underscore Kelly. When does a finish plus block shots plus, plus rebound big man become good enough to draft in the lottery? Is the type of player who immediately becomes a guy like Avica Zubats a lottery pick? And funny enough, we actually just wrote about this earlier in the week with Mark Williams. So there is a point when that guy does become a lottery pick when it's Very translatable. I keep saying the term translatable and and apples to apples comparison from the role that they play before the NBA and what they'll be asked to do in the NBA. If you can find enough instances where you see on the film exactly what they're going to be asked to do in the NBA, them doing it well, and understand that with NBA teaching and spacing and and a little bit more time to develop, they're only going to get better in that regard. I think a lottery pick is still worth it. Uh, That's why I'm a big fan of Mark Williams a great rim protector, really high block rate, great motor runs the floor incredibly well and and finishes everything in the basket. He led the NCAA in dunks this year. I think that lottery pick upside is going to always depend on a couple things, right? One is the context of the class. How many other really good players are there? A year ago, I was not, I would probably would not be sold on taking Mark Williams in the lottery, even if he had this two-year sample of at Duke under his belt. And one of the reasons for that is there were so many other good guards or wings or players that we wanted to explore in that area, that I don't know if Williams justifies leapfrogging them from a talent perspective. So you still have to be a much better talent than the guys you're directly compared to in your class. The other part of that, and, and this is kind of a, a harder concept to really wrap wrap my head around is the depth of the position in each class right so mark williams at 13 versus a guy who's slightly worse than mark williams at 25 yeah maybe 13 seems like a little bit of a reach um but as i've come around to over the last few years if you find a guy and you really like him you take him. So I'm not worried as much about comparing to other teams and, and playing kind of the market value game. If you like a guy and he fits what you need, go ahead and get him. And to answer JoJo's question directly, I actually think this year is going to be a year when we see a guy like that go in the lottery with Mark Williams. I am projecting him to go in the lottery in, in our most recent mock drafts and think that he has a really good shot of staying there. A couple more questions before we get out of here. Zach Tran at Zachary Tran 19, asking about Jalen Williams at Santa Clara. Given his size and skill set, can you see Jalen Williams sneaking into the first round? Absolutely, Zach. I think that there's a, a really real case for Williams, based on his skill, his playmaking ability, to be a late first round pick. This is another guy who, just quite frankly, there's not enough hours in the day for us. We haven't been able to sit down and do a really deep dive on. The flashes we've seen when we watched other Gonzaga film and and, and the way that you know things have, have popped out, like he 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 shows well. You can see his IQ. He's got good size and natural tools. I think he's going to shoot it just fine. But I want to be able to dive in a little bit more before I commit to putting him in that territory. But I definitely know with the buzz that's going on around right now and just the open nature of this draft class in particular. Once you get past the twenty first, twenty second pick. Williams is going to have as good of a shot as anybody else of finding his way into that territory. Last question for the day comes from Greg Williams, probably asking about another Williams on here, Vince Williams. He wants to know if, will Vince Williams be drafted? I I don't know. Um, I, I think so. I think that he is with his statistical profile and how good of a, a shooter that he was this year. I think he's probably going to be drafted somewhere in the fifties. Uh, I, I think that's a, a fairly, uh, a fairly good spot for him to land. But Greg also asked a follow-up question, which is completely unrelated to Vince. So we can get off the, the three Williams in a row here. Uh, Dyson Daniels, what are the odds that he falls all the way to 17 and, and not really uh, expecting him to go that far. I do think with Shaden Sharp entering the draft and with a little bit of late movement with this kid from Canada Miller, who's really jumping in late, there are going to be some intriguing guys who rise and fall on some boards. I don't think Dyson Daniels is necessarily that guy for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I think there are a lot of NBA teams who like what he brings to the table just the combination of playmaking size and shooting upside. He's a really, really good defender, a low risk type of investment. And I think there are going to be a lot of teams in this class who would rather see somebody like Ty Ty Washington or maybe even Johnny Davis, Oshai Akbaji. Those guys would fall a little bit more than a super solid dependable Daniels, who does have a considerably higher amount of upside than somebody like Akbaji. The other thing with Daniels, is thinking about the teams that are drafting in that range. Many of them are on the precipice of playoff berths, and they need to add either a really solid, dependable role player who can come in from day one and make an impact, or just somebody who fits into the team construct. Right? It's very rare that outside of the top seven or eight, they're going to find that superstar guy to hitch their wagon to. So if they want to make a a push for the playoffs in the next year or so, they're likely not drafting for that. They're drafting somebody that can come in and be a really good piece next to the young blossoming star players that they might already have. And Daniels fits that to a T and does so more than anybody else in this class where his stock is pretty rock solid. Like I think that he is a eight to 16, eight to 14 lock. I, I have a tough time seeing him getting outside of the lottery uh, I know that a lot of people in Atlanta would be thrilled to see him fall to them, but I just, uh, I, I don't necessarily see it happening. Well, folks, thank you all for your questions. And again, a real quick episode here, just hopping on trying to answer a couple of your mailbag thoughts in here we'll come at you next week with a brand new episode of the box in one podcast. As we wrap up this week, we'll also be wrapping up our fifth Duke scouting report in a row as we run through all five of their potential first round prospects. Coming next week, probably a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the more intriguing late ads to the draft pool. Some guys that have really high upside like Malachi Branham or Tur- Turquay Smith that are going either a little bit under the radar or late risers during the season that are definitely worth diving into. As always, thank you so much for, for joining us here, listening along. Make sure you subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and to our Substack at boxinone.substack.com. And as a reminder, with the NBA playoffs going on, join us in our crusade to hashtag ban the take foul.